So today we're starting this uh, new sermon series called The Blood Covenant. And throughout our lives, there's things that we learn that tend to be catalysts for the next thing that we are going to learn. For example, if you were going to learn how to multiply and divide, it'd probably be a pretty good idea that you first learn how to add and subtract, right? In order to multiply and divide, we need to know how to add and subtract. If you were going to write a book, well, you probably need to take an English class or some composition class. You probably need to know some basic grammar. You need to know how to spell. You don't want a Microsoft Word document filled up with little red squiggly lines like mine is. You need to actually know how to spell. I remember back in college, the first time around for me, um, I was in respiratory therapy school. And it started out with all of these physics classes. I hated those classes to learn about the respiratory system, the circulatory system. But there was a reason why we learned all of those formulas and spent all that time on the physics of, of, of the body because it taught us the fundamentals that we were going to learn later in the program. And all of those, those classes, those boring classes that I couldn't stand, were actually uh, needed for our understanding of the difficult concepts that we were going to learn later. Uh, honestly, in school, besides for tests, I never ever use those gas laws, Boyle's law, and all those kind of things. Uh, but when I worked in the hospital, when I took care of premature babies or severe asthmatics or people that were on cardiopulmonary bypass, those old formulas, those equations were vital to devise systems to care for those severely sick patients. And so about 15 years ago, um, I was searching for a book to study while I was a pastor up in Rockford. And I came across a book called The Covenant by James Garlow. And James Garlow at the time was a pastor of the Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego, California. Uh, Skyline Wesleyan is a huge Wesleyan church. Perhaps it might be the largest in the Wesleyan denomination. If you don't know James Garlow, you probably have heard of his predecessor, especially if you have ever studied leadership. Uh, John Maxwell was the pastor before James Garlow. So anyway, I bought this book. It arrived from Amazon and I eventually opened it up and I started to read it. And I have to tell you that I, I almost put the book down and I never finished it because the very first line of this book was, this book will change your life. And I'm skeptical of those kind of claims, aren't you? Um, I kind of bristled because it made this book seem like some sort of infomercial that was just promising me uh, and blessing my life if I would just buy their product, right? It just seemed kind of cheap to me. And we're surrounded by claims like that all the time. Claims that if we would just do this, it would change our life. And so it's a moment of apprehension that I share this with you this morning, that once we learn about this blood covenant, it will unleash the Bible in a fresh and a new way to you. This study literally was life-changing to me. And I pray that you would see the Bible very differently after this series. Um, 
So we're going to introduce you to something that's rarely ever taught in, in church. I don't remember anybody growing up in church uh, talking about the blood covenant before, but we'll see that it is the basis of all of Scripture. And as I read and I learned, Scripture just opened up to me. The Bible literally changed for me. Uh, what didn't make sense before now made sense because I could see it through the lens of the blood covenant. See, the concept of the book and of this series is that blood covenant. Now, I know you have heard that word covenant before. As Nazarenes, we have a manual and inside that manual is the covenant of Christian character. And we invite our new members of a church to uh, make a covenant with PFN, make a covenant with our denomination. We have volunteers here at PFN that when you uh, come into a, uh, uh, an area of service here where you're serving, uh, you are asked to sign a covenant, a written covenant that says that we're going to do certain things, but there's also some certain, certain things that we're not going to do. Every time you and I take communion, we repeat the words of Christ when he said that this is the blood of the new covenant. And we say that all the time, but do we really understand what that means? See, now, during biblical times, everyone would have known exactly what this covenant is. Everyone most likely would have been to a covenant ceremony. So a covenant, you can write this part down, is a Hebrew word that means to bind something together in obligation. We have a, a basic covenant in today's age, don't we? Uh, we recognize it as a covenant. We recognize the marriage ceremony as a covenant between a man and a woman. And the in marriage, a husband and a wife are bound together in obligation to take care of one another. And if you are married, maybe you said those vows that we promise to love each other, to give to each other, and yes, to obey one another. And so in, in a few moments, we're going to go through actual these covenant steps, and you're going to recognize some of these because things that we do today are holdovers from this ancient covenant ceremony. The Hebrew word for a covenant is berit. And this word is used in God's word 300 times. So it's very important to God, obviously, but covenantal language where you see different steps of the covenant that we're going to learn about in just a moment is uh, contained thousands and thousands of times in the Bible. So let's go through what a covenant is and what a covenant is not before we go through it. A covenant is not a contract. A contract is this agreement of limited to the giving of goods and services or, or products to another party, right? A contract is negotiated before the party signs the bottom line, right? So in a contract, before you sign or I would sign a contract, we would go through the terms of the contract, right? And you would give or take away things from that contract 
and I would do the same. And eventually we would come to terms and both of us would sign the contract. But a covenant cannot be, can- be canceled. A, c- a contract can. See, in a con- contract, if one party fails to fulfill their side, the other party can legally cancel the contract, right? Contracts are signed in ink. Covenants are signed in blood. A contract is a partnership between two parties, but each party is still looking out for their own best interests. For example, if, if Ford makes a contract with a part supplier, Ford is not looking to make sure that that part supplier makes the most profit from their part, are they? They want the best deal. They want the best part, but they want the lowest price, something that would benefit them the most. Ford is not going to be looking for the, uh, looking out for the benefit of that part supplier. A covenant, though, is so much more than just the giving of goods and services. A covenant is the giving of oneself to somebody else. Also, covenants are not casual. A covenant is an ultimate commitment. Covenants require sacrifices. Covenants require you to look into the best interest of the person that you are in a covenant with. Covenants are selfless. So let me give you an example of covenant terminology that through the years has lost its translation. Uh, The Hebrew word for working out a covenant is the word hesed. Now our modern Bibles would use that word hesed and is downgraded some and we now translate that as mercy. It's close, but we define mercy as we looked about in the last few weeks as, as pity or as forgiveness of somebody that doesn't deserve it. And that's a very incomplete picture of Hasid or a covenant. Hasid actually portrays an active pursuit of wanting to bless the other person, your covenant partner. Hasid cries out, I want to do this for my partner, not I guess I'm required to do this. See, there's a huge difference there. Someone that is part of a covenant has an obligation, or someone that's part of a contract has an obligation to the contract. Covenant has partners with a heartfelt desire to bless their covenant partner. And so let's add this. There is no way out of a covenant. A covenant is lifelong. The only way out of a covenant is to die. And so that's why ministers in a wedding ceremony will stand up and say, do you take this man, yada, 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 as long as you both shall live, right? Till death do you part. That is covenantal language. And I hope by the the end of this series that we're going to become aware of this language of the covenant. And you'll see how this is actually a theme of God's word throughout the entire Old Testament and the New. 
couple more things and then we'll go through the steps of an Old Testament era blood covenant. Uh, there are two types of covenants. We need to learn these now. Uh, there is the parity cover, covenant and the suzerain covenant. A parity covenant involves equal covenant partners. The covenant is made to complement the strengths and weaknesses of the covenant partners. For example, it's not just two people that can be in a covenant with one another. Maybe two countries have decided to be in a covenant with one another. Let's say one country is very strong militarily, but the other country is, is very strong agriculturally. And so they may decide that they are going to sign a, con or a covenant with one another where one country agrees to protect the other, but that country agrees to give them food or agriculture. Both sides benefit equally, and that's the parity covenant. The suzerain covenant is between unequal parties. For example, let's say we have that strong country and they're full of military might and they make a covenant with this small, insignificant country without a lot of resources and without a whole lot of military strength. That strong country agrees that it will protect the small country as long as the small country plays by the rules, right? So this means that the weaker party would be allowed to live, but there's stipulations on that. The new agreements require the absolute allegiance of the lesser to the greater, but it's still a covenant, but they're between unequal partners. And so you're going to hear those words in the next coming weeks. Um, one more thing. The writers of the Bible were speaking to a very different audience than we have in our, in our modern audience today. Uh, just like that translation of mercy has eroded over time, so has the significance of a covenant. In biblical times, a covenant was well known by everybody. In fact, every author of the Bible, all 40-some people would have been completely familiar with a covenant ceremony. The big names in the Bible all knew what a covenant was. Abraham knew it. David knew it. The apostle Paul knew it. Jesus knew what a covenant was. And so you may think, well, pastor, if this is so important, if this is this theme of God's word, how come we've never talked about this before? Or how come I've never heard about this before? How come all the steps that we're going to run through here in just a moment, how come they're not all mentioned in the Bible? It's a great question, but it's simply explained. The writers of the Bible knew that everyone reading their words would already have an intimate knowledge of the steps of the covenant. There was no reason for them to give a thorough explanation of all the steps because they knew that the people in that time already understood the significance of a covenant. Yet even though the writers used common vocabulary that referred to the covenant, they didn't have to keep 
referring to the word covenant over and over and over again. As soon as you would have seen one of the steps, as soon as you would have read about one of the steps of the covenant, you would have immediately understood, ah, this is part of God's covenant with us. So that said, and the word for covenant, remember, appears 300 times in God's word. We won't find every step that we're going to go through here in the Bible. Some of the steps that we're going to go through here in just a moment come actually from the pages of history, but they were all part of this ceremony. They were all part of the covenant ceremony. And so we're going to learn what that's all about. And now we're going to quickly go through all of these steps with one another. And then next week, we're going to open up the Old Testament and we're going to see examples of God's blood covenant through the pages of the Old Testament. In two weeks, we're going to open up the New Testament and we're going to see how Jesus opens up the covenant with us. And so in order to do this, I would need a volunteer. And so Brock has graciously volunteered to be my covenant partner today. Would you give Brock a hand as he comes up here today? All right, brother, you ready to make a covenant with me? Sure. All right. Okay. So this is Brock Linden Feltzer and uh, here you are forever known as Callie's husband. Okay. Okay. All right. So the covenant would have different steps to it. Um, it had 10 steps to it. You have it in your notes there. So you can write these down as Brock and I go through these. But the first one would be to exchange our robes. Now in biblical times, we would have worn uh, some sort of tunic, some sort of robe. And so we would actually take that robe off and we would give it to the other person. And so then we would take their coat or their covering or their robe, and then we would put that on and we would wear that around. Now, the meaning of this is that Brock and I have, ex have demonstrated that we are exchanging. You look very good, by the way. Well, thank you. Thank you, covenant partner. So we're, we're explaining to the world that we have now exchanged identities. And so the reason behind this, if Brock now goes and walks around through town and he's wearing my coat, you may think, hey, there's Brian, but wait a second. It doesn't quite look like Brian. It looks like Brock, but why is Brock wearing Brian's coat or Brian's robe? And so it's just to mix up that, that exchange of identities so that our identities were, were kind of blurred over time. So, because neither one of us want to, we're going to put it over here, brother. Neither one of us, oh, finally. Oh. Yeah. All right. So the second one is the exchange of belts. And the exchange of belts, that, no. We're, we're not, no, Brock, we're not actually doing that. Okay. We'll pretend here, Brock, okay? So the exchange of belts was to represent that we are exchanging our strengths. Now, belts in the Old Testament days were a lot bigger than a, 
you know, an inch and a half of leather or fabric here that held our pants up. A belt was a bigger piece of clothing and it held a lot of important things for that person. It held that person's weapons. It held that person's assets. But really what this is saying is this is an exchange of all of our strengths. So by uh, exchanging our belts, really I'm saying, Brock, everything that I have, everything that is good about my life, every asset, all of my strengths, everything that I have is now yours, Brock. It's all for your disposal. And Brock would say, hey, Brian, everything that I have, all of my equipment and my tools and all of those things that, all of those are mine now, Brock. (laughs) Okay. But we are exchanging our strengths and we are bringing really even two households into one. Is it starting to sound a little bit more like our marriage uh, ceremony today? The third step is that we would exchange weapons with one another. And what this represents, oh, thank you. I have a weapon for you here too. There you go. Here's my butter knife. Thank you, brother. So (laughs) what this means is that we are actually exchanging our enemies with one another. Um, So Brock's enemies are now my enemies. My enemies are now Brock's enemies. If somebody's going to miss with with Brock, they got to come through me first. If somebody's missing with me, they have to come through Brock first. We have each other's back. There's tons of examples of this in the Old Testament. Last week, we talked about Joshua. Remember, Joshua was a leader after Moses was gone. And if you read in Joshua chapter 10, you'll see that Joshua is in a covenant relationship with uh, some of the tribes of Israel. And they are at war. And they call upon him for help. And because he is in a covenant with them, he does everything he can to assist them. And that includes calling on his God to help. And so you'll read in Joshua chapter 10 that because they needed time, Joshua actually prays, Lord, would you make the sun and the moon stand still so I can help fulfill this covenant? And we don't see those exact words, but that is what is happening in Joshua chapter 10. And the covenant was so important to God that the sun and the moon literally stand or stood still to fulfill this covenant. The fourth step is a sacrificial animal. Now, remember, these these contracts weren't written in ink. They were written in blood. And every time that a covenant was made, blood had to be spilled and an animal had to be sacrificed. Usually it was a a cow and they would take this, this cow and they would lay it on its back. Can I have my butter knife back real quick? All right. So, all right. They would take this cow, lay it on its back and they would actually cut down the middle of this animal. And when they cut it completely in half, they would lay one half of the animal on one side and the other half of the animal on another side. And you can imagine this was a 
can have your knife back, brother. Uh, you can imagine this was a very bloody thing to do. But that blood was symbolic for this covenant. It meant to signify that the two partners of this covenant are dead to their old selves. Okay? Remember that, that word hesed? The hesed means to make a covenant, and even that has eroded over time because the word hesed actually means that you are cutting a covenant. Not making a covenant, but you cut a covenant. We find this in Genesis chapter 15. Abram is having a conversation with God. And we're going back a long ways back in time before, way, way before Moses. And there was this man named Abram whom God told, hey, leave your home, leave everything behind. And I want you to go to the land that I promise you. And so God promises Abram that he will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and all of this land. And so here we find Abram one day and he's remembering God's promise that God was going to give him land, that God was going to give him descendants. And so basically Abram asked God, hey, you promised me this land. Um, where is it? How come I don't have it yet? And God said, go get me a heifer. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us today, does it? He said, go get me a heifer. Go get these other animals and, and some doves. Go get me all of these other animals. Maybe Abram would have said, well, that's not what I ask you, God. But Abram would have immediately understood that when God says, go get this heifer, go get this cow, immediately Abram would have known God is going to make a covenant with me. I've questioned his promise. He gave me his promise. How do I know that it's going to come true? Because God is making a covenant with me and covenants can not be broken. And so God says, Hey, Abram, go get a cow, go get a sheep and goat and some other animals. And so, um, poor kid zone gave us their cow. And so we're, instead of splitting kid zone's cow in half, we'll just put one animal here and we'll put this nice little sheep over here. Okay. And so they would lay, remember the two halves of the animals or the different animals on different sides. Okay. The next uh, step, step five is the walk of death. Now at this time, both uh, partners would stand opposite each other, just like Brock and I are right now. And we would actually walk in between these two animals. As we got past them, we would turn to our left, walk all the way around to the other side again, come back through a second time and turn to our right and we would end up back where we were. Now, why is this significant that the two covenant partners made this walk of death with one another? Did you notice that we made this figure eight around the animals? And that was to signify that this was for eternity. This was an infinite covenant with one another. Also, 
did you notice that if these two animals had just been sacrificed and Brock and I walked through this, we would be covered in those, in those animals' blood. This was to signify to all of those that are, are watching, all of those that are there, but also to the covenant partners that as we are completely covered in blood, nothing, nothing that we have uh, can be withheld from this covenant. It was to symbolize that the covenant covers every area of Brock and I's life. Nothing can be withheld from one another. The sixth one is the striking of hands. Now, in Old Testament times, the hands would have included the wrist, okay? So it wouldn't just be our hand up here, but our hand would be considered down into our forearm somewhere. And so they would have a mark on the body, a striking of hands, where each of the covenant partners, okay, go ahead and slice your wrist there, Brock, for me. So each of the covenant partners would cut their wrist, not enough that they would bleed to death, but enough that it would leave a scar and that it would bleed. And the two covenant partners then would, instead of shaking hands like this, this is how we shake hands today, they would have shook hands like this so that our wrists come together. It was to signify that my blood is now intermixed with Brock's blood. Okay, so that even now my blood is flowing through Brock's veins and vice versa. That's how deep and intimate this covenant practice was. Now, this would have also done a couple different things for, for people. If you were to meet somebody on the street and you would just go up to them and you would shake their hand, you would feel a nice scar here on this other person's hand. And as you shook their hand, you would immediately know this guy's in a covenant with somebody. So I, I better not cross him. I better not cheat him because I know he has a covenant partner. So I'm not just missing with him. I'm also going to be missing with that other person as well. Another thing that it does for us is some scholars think this is now why we wave. What would that do for, for us? If, if I saw you from across the road or uh, across our village and I waved to you, what I'm doing is I'm showing you my wrist. And if you see a scar across my wrist, you know that I have made a covenant with somebody. And don't miss with me because you also have to tangle with Brock, right? Okay. The next uh, of these is the pronouncements of blessings and curses. And a third party would be brought in here, but the two parties would say to one another something like this, Brock, blessed shall you be when you come and when you go. Blessed shall you be when you rise and when you lie down. Blessed shall be your wife. Blessed shall be your children. Blessed shall be everything that you put your hand on. 
Blessed shall be your land, your oxen, your donkeys, your field, your produce, and on and on and on. And they would just list all of these blessings. And then they would say, and I will keep this covenant with you at the cost of my own blood. And if I fail to keep the terms of this covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. And then Brock would go through the exact same pronouncement to me. So let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> he would have already known these steps, right? So, uh, all right. So Abram, how did he know that God will say what he was going to do? It's right here. God was telling Abram, I, how can you know that or how, how to tell that you can be cer certain, Abram, it's through this covenant. I promise you that I will bless you. I promise you that I will bless your land. I promise you that I will bless your children, even though you don't have any legitimate children yet. I will bless them. The eighth part or uh, part of this uh, covenant was the covenant meal. Now to Brock and I's uh, joy, we would now have a big church potluck together, right? We would actually have this huge party and usually these parties would last for days upon days because this was such a huge deal for people to be in covenant with one another. And part of that party would be another step where we actually feed one another. And so... Grab your cookie, Brock. <laughs> and yeah, this is a little weird, but uh, I would actually feed Brock. <laughs> I want my cookie, man. Get uh, <clears throat> All right. Don't eat a cookie and then have to preach. <clears throat> All right. Brock's out now, so... So we would actually feed one another. And as strange as that is, this is going to sound well, even more strange. We are actually saying, as you eat this, you are eating me. Now, that sounds weird, but in the Old Testament, excuse me, in the Old Testament, they would have understood this. It would have meant that not only is my blood now flowing through Brock's body, but I am part of Brock and Brock is part of me. That's how strong this covenant is. Does that now sound even more familiar? Like our wedding ceremony where a bride and a groom feed each other or at least shove cake in each other's face, right? Thank you for not doing that. The ninth step is an exchange of names. And this was to tell the world who our covenant partner is. Okay? So I would take part of Brock's name. So my name, uh, instead of being known as Brian Etock, my name would now be Brian Lindenfelzer Etock. And Brock would be known as Brock Etock Lindenfelzer. So, uh, why don't we give Brock a hand 
and allow him to sit, sit down. Thank you, brother. Thank you, buddy. Love you. All right. So when God made that covenant with, with Abram, he changed Abram's name. This is how this happened. This is why this is so special uh, to me and it opens up God's word to me. God's name is Yahweh, right? Now, if you were to spell that out or you were to say it in Hebrew, it actually has a more uh, breathy and a guttural sound to it. And the middle consonant there, that H in Yahweh, is actually pronounced Ra. I, I can't even do it justice, but it's pronounced Ra. Okay? So God, when he makes a covenant with Abram, changes his name to Abraham. Isn't that, isn't that cool? God changes Abram's name to include part of his name. Abram becomes becomes Abraham. And so from then on, Abraham, everywhere he would go, he would introduce himself as Abraham. And everyone would immediately know. As soon as they heard that, and they heard that part of God's name in Abraham's name, that he was in a covenant with God himself. And God took on Abraham's name. It's from this point in the Bible that we see God referred to as the God of Abraham. And later the God of Isaac and Jacob. There's another step, but we'll get into that step in a couple weeks. Um, as we close, I want you to know this. God has made a covenant with you. God is wanting to be a covenant partner with you. And when God says that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, you now know why. That is covenantal language. That is God promising because of the covenant that we are in with him, that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. This is a promise to anyone that enters into a covenant with God because that covenant is forever, it's binding. Some of you need to know that today. Some of you need to be reminded, be reminded of that is the nature of God, that once he gives you a promise and once you are in that covenant with him, it never, ever ends. This is how how serious God takes his relationship with you. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this even more and just see how God is so timeless and God will never, never, never give up on any of us here because you and I are covenantal partners with the creator of the universe. So let's end today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you desire the creator of our universe, the one who knows all about us, our good and our bad. You still want to be in a covenant
with us. Wow. To me, Lord, that is mind-boggling. That you look at me and you look at all these people in this sanctuary, those that are watching online today, that you want to be in a covenant, a lifelong relationship, an eternal long relationship with you. Wow. And so, Lord, as we go through these next few weeks and we unpack your word, would you, would you just open up our minds and our hearts to how you are going to bring us into the fullness of what your word is? And, Lord, I would pray that within our congregation, within those that are watching online, that there would become this new, this new passion for you, this new passion for your word, as we see that there was never a plan B but this was always the plan from the beginning of time. We love you, Jesus. We thank you uh, for being here with us today. We thank you, Jesus, for being in a covenant with us. And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and you may be dismissed. Amen.